Seeking the Lord's blessing and Spirit's leading, we'll look again at the portion we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we may read again from verse 23. Verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take ye, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the new testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come, and so on. This do ye in remembrance of me. Now, friends, I'm aware that, God willing, that next Lord's Day that you will be uh, remembering the Lord's death at the communion time. And uh, as we approach a communion time, and as you approach a communion time for yourselves, I would just today wish to remind us all of what it is that we are doing. And we all always need to be reminded of this, what is involved in the Lord's Supper. I don't want to go into the sufferings of Christ and that today, which I am quite sure will be addressed in particular in the coming Lord's Day. But to look at it, in the wider context, the purpose and the elements and who are to partake at the Lord's table. And I pray to encourage you uh, to consider what it is that you are uh, to do and to do it as unto the Lord. Now, while no doubt at all, all of us here, whether having ever sat at the table or not, we know about the Lord's table. We know about it in general terms. But then there is a knowing about it and knowing the Lord that we remember. These are two different things all together. And whether we are expected to be at the table, God willing, next Lord's day or not, uh, these are things that should ever be before us. The thought of what Christ has done, why he has done it, and what we should be doing in response to that. So any who expect to be at the table, it is, of course, especially profitable for us all to examine ourselves, not just once, but every time we come to the Lord's table, to spend time to think about these things, but also to examine everything that the table represents, all that is included in that. Again, I, I don't want to go into details of that today, but generally speaking, we all need to do that every time we come to remember his death. Maybe for yourself, there was a time when you have partaken maybe on many occasions and for many years. 
and yet maybe today you don't give the consideration to it that you once did when you first of all sat at the Lord's table. For many of us, as we look back and we think of these early days and early communions, how our hearts burned within us at the thought of what Christ had done for us and what we were doing. Is it still so with yourself? Do you still have that desire and yearning to meet with them at the table? Oh, friends, it's easy for us to drift into a communion time. It is easy for us to partake at a communion time and then just to go back and it bring no change into our lives. Surely none of us should sit any time at the Lord's table without it bringing some degree of change into how we live and how we think about our Saviour. Well, while we come to the table, of course, feelings are important in these holy matters. But also, friends, how we feel sitting at the table is only a small part of enjoying or best to say benefiting from the table. Of course there are feelings, and there should be. And we should feel what it is. But it doesn't mean at all that we do not benefit just because we haven't had our hearts touched every time from sitting at the table. It can be the case that our hearts are warmed towards Christ on some occasions, but not so much on other occasions. But sometimes, friends, even when our emotions are not moved sitting at the Lord's table, we can still benefit from partaking at the Lord's table. Because what we're doing there is his commandment. And every time we're obedient to one of his commandments, any command, especially this commandment, there has to be a blessing for ourselves in that. And if you can say, despite maybe how you feel here this morning, maybe despite your struggle with coldness at times, with apathy at times, and with lack of love at times, well, if you can say, despite all that, I know what I have to do. This is what I ought to be, especially because my Saviour, yes, commands it of me. This do in remembrance of me. This do in remembrance of me. And if things are as they ought to be, not perfectly, but you know yourselves and it's set out for us how we ought to be in the right spirit, how we ought to be right with God, how we ought to be right with our, those who are sitting at the table with us. That's very important, friends. That these things are dealt with as you are enabled. Then the table is for you to partake of. If you love the Lord, that is where you ought to be. Well then, with these few remarks, let us then look at these three points. First of all, the purpose of the Lord's Supper being instituted. Well, of course, it's summed up for us, surely, that this do in remembrance of me. 
That is what it is there for first and foremost. And those who the Lord was addressing here, remember, they had just taken part in another remembrance. They had taken part in the Passover. And the Passover was of obviously another remembrance. Even he himself was taking part in the Passover. And they were taking that part in that remembering something else. They were remembering that annual deliverance from Egypt. That is what they were doing. But Jesus tells them now that they are to remember from now on another deliverance. Yes, they were looking back to that great deliverance that brought about by God through Moses, who in many ways, as it were, was their saviour in one sense in delivering them. But now they were to remember another deliverance. They'd be very aware they had just partaken of uh, the Passover and all of that meant, and their minds have been focused on that. And then the Lord comes, and we know elsewhere from other parts of Scripture that then this was, as it were, changed at that moment then when, when he brought about to remember him and the Lord's his own death coming up. Another deliverance. And for them there was that great physical deliverance. But now you see there was another deliverance. And what he is speaking about is deliverance from the power and the penalty of sin. That is what was about for them. But more than that even, not just to remember being delivered from the power and penalty of sin, but to remember himself, the one who had delivered them. My friends, when we sit at the Lord's table any time, we remember what he has done for us. But not, laying, putting, not letting it be a secondary thing who has done it for us. The focus to be on himself at all times as we sit at the Lord's table. The one who has done that's why this do in remembrance, yes, this do in remembrance of me. Not Moses, nothing else. This now do what you do now is in remembrance of me. You know, friends, I, I often struggle personally with the thought, the solemnity of the thought. Am I humbled at the thought that the Lord Jesus thinks I need a remembrance? I need to be reminded of what he has done for me. Isn't that astonishing? Christian here today, if you know what Christ has done for you, that we would need to be reminded of it. Oh, surely we would never forget. How can we forget it? But he has given it to us for a purpose, what he has done for you. What was still to come in his being crucified, to become his people's sacrifice, followed by his three days under the power of death, and then, of course, his ultimate glorification to deal with our estrangement from God. We have to remember him in all these things. Remember what he has done, but he, the one who has done it, this do in remembrance of me. Now, having a remembrance like this would not have, in one sense, been necessary as far as the redemption 
the redeeming work of Christ is concerned. It's not necessary for that as far as the redeeming of his people was concerned. But what we see here is just a, a tiny of, if you like, of the types of the, the types of the sacrificial era of the Old Testament to what was to come in his giving of himself. The Passover, the Lord's Supper now. But even more than that, given in love by Christ for his people, knowing your need, he left us this in love for us as well. It's as if he's saying to us, oh, I know what you are like. I know that you are still sinners. I know you'll be going through difficult times. Well, here's something. Do this in remembrance of me because you'll need it. And it will be for you surely also a strengthening to remember him. And it's not for ourselves. Oh, to remember him more. And when we come especially, not only of course at the table, but when we come to the table, how it can be blessed to us when the Spirit of the Lord is present and we are remembering him in all that is done. And this was all done with care and love for his beloved people. It didn't add anything to his redemptive work, of course, and it doesn't. But he knows your failings and mine. And he knows our need. And in his mercy and love and kindness, this is what he is doing. And when you think, old friends, as when he knew exactly what was awaiting him a few short hours later, when he knew exactly what he had to suffer, that hour, that great hour of agonizing crucifixion. And yet, his thoughts are on his people. His thoughts are on his people. His thoughts are upon you, friend. For this is what is given to us down through the ages to remember him. He knew what you and I would need going to suffer and he had told them that going to die he had told them that but this is what you need at this time <coughs> here was in this supper as Professor John Muddy put it the seal of forgiveness I remember to remember and remember the, the seal of forgiveness he knew what they were like he knew and knows what you were like but here he is now and this is what he is doing for you. So, dear friend, as you partake of the bread and the wine, we should have Christ before us in our minds by faith. We should have Christ before us in our hearts by conviction. And we should have Christ before us as we handle the elements, the bread and the wine. In other words, it should be all of Christ as you sit and as you remember at the Lord's table. But of course there is also another aspect to it we mustn't forget. It is this partaking and being mindful also of each other. Your brothers and sister for whom Christ has died. Coming together. And he addresses here all the disciples. Thank ye all of us. Thank you all of it. You see, as individuals, we are there 
because of what we have come to know of him individually as our personal saviour. We are not at the table of the Lord because my, my husband is or my wife is or my brother, my parents, whatever. We are there as individuals. But at the same time, we are there because of what we have come to know of him as our saviour and with the Lord's people. Together. All the disciples, not on our own. That is why I think it is not right for the idea of people, we hear about people going to an individual home just to give the communion to an individual. Going maybe to a hospital bed. You see, it's about corporately partaking with our brothers and sisters in Christ. There's the communion and the union with Christ communion with one another as well and so we see the bread and the wine are divided among the group of them and in other words the disciples here and so for us as well it is for us as a congregation or for you as a congregation God willing next Lord's day and we are to do so you are to do so till he come that is what set before us here, to show the Lord's death till he come, till the end. It is to be something that goes on, whether within our own circles, whether it's twice a year or four times a year or even every week sometimes in some places. But it's continuing till he come. And as our Westminster Confession puts it, it is for the perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death perpetual remembrance of the sacrifice of himself in his death. He has given it to us then, friends, for our remembrance and therefore for our spiritual encouragement. It's not to discourage us, it is to encourage us, particularly that he has given it to us. So we are benefiting from Christ himself through our vital union with him. Again, Quote in the confession, it expresses the bond and pledge of their communion with him and with each other as members of his mystical body. Communion with him and with each other as members of his mystical body. So then, that just a, a, a brief uh, look into the purpose of the Lord's Supper being instituted. It is for his people. So, friends, may we then never come thoughtlessly to the table of the Lord. May we come with expectation, but never thoughtlessly. When you think about it, it wasn't a thoughtless action on his part to leave it with us and to give it to us. He knew we needed it. He thought that. And we do, do we not? The purpose of it then. Then secondly, the elements used. Now, at the outset, we must stress that what they were partaking of was in no way whatsoever to be seen as a sacrifice. Some people speak about it and 
even not so much in our <laughs> church circles, but elsewhere, as if it is a sacrifice. It is not a sacrifice, like like a mass idea, as the Romans have it. It is not a sacrifice. There was one sacrifice that did away with all the types before of the order. One sacrifice, one time, and because of the infinite worth of that sacrifice and perfection of that sacrifice, there's never going to be a need for a repeat. He has finished all that was required of him. And so the elements speak about something here. What we are doing then, using the bread and wine as symbolic, is remembering his death. Now, as to what kind of bread and wine that sometimes has caused much controversy down through the ages. But what was used here, remember again, was a continuation of what they had partaken of at the Passover. So we find what was used at the Passover, and it was only part of what was used at the Passover that we have. There are many elements, as you know, to the Passover. They had the Passover feast, different things in it. But it's only this part of it, the bread. Remember, how often he spoke himself, I am the bread of life. And so it was that bread, and there's the wine here that we have uh, brought before us. We have it in other parts of it. Uh, as they were eating, they took the bread. As they were eating of the Passover in Matthew, it speaks about it. As they were eating of the bread, and, and as they took the cup, was blessed, and so on. Now, the bread they used was what they had, obviously, then in the Passover, which would have been unleavened bread. The bread and fermented wine was what was the ordinary, with the ordinary wine often drunk at that time. So, in one sense, you can say, well, it's, it's just the ordinary things that they were using. It's not anything out of the ordinary. Although, of course, he set it apart for holy use as we seek to do ourselves, consecrated for holy use when at the table. Of course that's happening. Now, very often we don't seem to have a great issue uh, discussion about um, the kind of bread that was used. But one thing we know, it, it was what would have been common in one way, set apart and different but common. But there is much more discussion about the wine you may, I'm sure, have discussed that yourselves at times. What does it matter? Much debate about that. Well, I think it is interesting as you look at verse 21 there, where he is uh, berating them for the way they were coming to eat together at the Lord's table. For in eating, every one taketh before, before other his own supper. One is hungry and another is drunken. Now, I think there is surely a strong clue there for us that it was obviously that it was fermented wine they were using. Otherwise there wouldn't have been drunkenness in their coming together at that time. So while in unleavened bread may not be so common for us that there's no question about fermented wine certainly was what was used here. And so if we have the choice we should certainly be following as much as we can the example of the Lord. But then, friends, there is more here than the physical. There is not just a physical eating and drinking the Lord Jesus has in mind here, first and foremost. But as uh, Louis Berkhoff puts it, he says for them, 
It was for them to have a spiritual appropriation of his body by faith. A spiritual appropriation of his body by faith. That's what they were doing. To understand the spiritual aspect of what they were doing. Bread and wine. That the bread is broken and shared and the cup is passed around. And I think again, friends, that I know that for various reasons people just, well, that's what's wrong with just using little cups or whatever. But there's a communal thing here. It's a sharing of it that surely should be something that we should seek to follow as much as we can. There are many things that are difficult for us to follow and to understand, but that surely should not be one of them. The idea of communion, it is sharing one with the other. And so, isn't it, by the way, as well, that the bread is broken, uh, symbolic of the body of Christ, and the wine, the blood of Christ. But isn't it not as well that the bed broken is symbolic of the body of Jesus, but then we are told that not a bone of his body was broken on the cross. So obviously it is to do with the sufferings, I believe, of Christ, particularly spoken of there, the wounding and the bruising and the thorns and the nails and the whipping, the spear and all these things. Now, your own heart determines what you receive in and from the sacrament each time you sit at the Lord's table. It is not a, a, a something that you come with and like a superstitious thing. Well, I've taken it and that's it. How you come, how you partake, will determine what you receive from it. You see, here there is for us Something interesting, what he speaks again, more debate about it, verse 27. The eating and drinking unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. Now, what is that speaking about? It's surely speaking about inappropriate partaking. It is what they were, we were reading about in the earlier verses of the chapter, how they were coming together in the wrong way. It's the idea of unworthily, with irreverence. In other words, not coming in the right spirit. And that's important as well for us, to come in the right spirit, coming to partake at the Lord's. Indeed, friends, we should be coming in that spirit every time we gather together to worship. We should be preparing our hearts to come together to God's house. That's how we should be with us. If we're not giving thought to what we're doing, and coming to the Lord's table, friends, we should come not thinking, oh, well, I deserve to be here. <clears throat> we shouldn't be thinking even of our own worthiness in any way, thinking about him, his worthiness, and how then we partake in the right spirit. This is not at all speaking about the timid and doubting believer. Maybe as you tremble, as you partake at the table often. How many of us know something of that? Oh, should I be here at all? Am I in the right spirit? Do I know for sure Christ has died for me? That can come to us often, even sitting at the Lord's table. 
as we take the bread and the wine, we tremble at the symbols. Well, that's not what it's about here when it speaks about unworthily. Rather against the carnal and profane, possibly, as I said, in reference to what in verse 20 to 22, what we have there in the partaking. And sadly, it happens, doesn't it? What it seems to be just a nothing for people to come and to take the bread and the wines at the Lord's table. May that never be with you or I, friend, or amongst ourselves as a denomination. What is before you at the table is to signify and seal the benefits of his sacrifice. And the benefits of his sacrifice, not for himself, but for you and I, if we love him and if we are trusting in him. It's for you, beloved, that he has done this. And so when you take the elements, that surely has to be in your mind, in thoughts along these lines. And so the purpose of it and the, the, the elements used, and then thirdly, who then are to partake? Who then are to partake? Well, it's quite simple, really. Only those who trust in Christ, believing he has died for my sins. And if you believe that for yourself, the table is where you ought to be. Yes, we read, let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Yes, friends, examine yourself. But notice the verse does not stop there. Let a man examine himself. It goes on, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Oh, but you see, uh, while I, I, I do believe the Lord has saved me, but when I examine myself, I am so full of sin. I so feel so unfit to be at this table. So full of sin everywhere in my life. Well, let me say this to you, dear friend. Every person who has ever sat at the Lord's table apart from himself has been full of sin. There's no such thing as anybody being sinlessly sitting at the Lord's table. And if it were about sinlessness, it would be an empty table every time. And none of us would be sitting there. Whatever, friend, Satan whispers in your ear, and he does much, of you being in a state of grace with saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he might say to you, well, if that is true, there won't be any sin in your life. That has to wait, friend, until you get into a state of glory. Sin will plague us and dare I say that since you came to know the Lord, and maybe the longer you go on knowing the Lord, the more you're aware of what sin is than maybe you ever were before, especially in these few early days of conversion. Sin will be there. So sin, being a sinner, should I put it this way, should not keep you back from the Lord's table. 
being an unsaved sinner certainly should. But a saved sinner, that is your place to be. Your admission to the table is not based on sinlessness, but on exercising faith, having come to love the Lord and understand why he has died and who he has died for. For your neighbour, for your family, wonderful. But for yourself, there's the personal aspect of it particularly. We believe the table of the Lord is for all and any who love the Lord. All and any who are seeking to live by his word. And that is important as well, friends. It's not just a profession with our lips. It's to be seen in our lives. That others would see and say, ah, he's a follower. There's a Christian. They have been with Jesus. Our lives should show and reflect that we love the Lord. You know, we speak in our church and it's right of an open table that we have, and so it is. But friends, that does not mean for anyone and everyone to come to the table. There's always a restriction. Admission to the Lord's table, the table of the Lord, which it is, is based on what? Well, a person's credible faith. It's not dependent upon your depth of theological understanding. It's not depending on your denomination. It's not depending on anything to do with your background and whatever nation you are from. It's about this. Do you love the Lord? Are you living as one who loves the Lord? Do you believe your sins are forgiven? Do you believe that they were nailed to the cross with Christ there? And if you say, friend, even hesitatedly and with maybe with a, an element of fear and trembling. Yes, I believe that. Well, my friend, where else should you be but being obedient to his commandment and do this in remembrance of him? See, friends, who often, it doesn't matter how often you and I have sat at the table of the Lord or maybe not as yet been willing to do so, what qualifies you for God's grace to do so? Well, nothing except grace itself. Grace itself. Now, let me be clear. The Lord's table is not, normally speaking, a converting ordinance in itself. And no one should have, and I'm sure you don't, have the idea, well, if I sit at the Lord's table, that makes me a Christian. You sit at the Lord's table because you're already a Christian. Now, I'm not saying, and we read about it, some people who have been coming to the Lord's table, and you read about it in some of our history books, are not that far long ago, people who were used, even as some ministers converted on their own preaching, who had never been converted. The Lord is able to use means, but normally speaking, it's not a converting ordinance in itself. And no one will be in heaven with Christ at the end of the day because just because they sat at the Lord's table. Yes, an unconverted person may well come and sit at the Lord's table. An unconverted person may there partake of the bread and the wine, the symbols. But not 
believe in their hearts what is signified by them. And it is of no avail whatsoever for such a person. There can be no spiritual benefit in partaking without the grace of God. Someone has said, Judas, may have eaten the bread with the Lord, but did not eat the Lord with the bread. Friends, there has to be a restriction. But the restriction is a biblical, has to be a biblical restriction. It's not about have you been following for 10 years before you sit or have you been doing this, that, the next thing. It all comes down to this. Do you love the Lord because you know your sins are forgiven? Well, if you do, what do you desire above everything else and not to, I want to be obedient to the Lord. Here's something. Sometimes we are unsure in life. Well, am I doing the Lord's will? You know what that's like? That I'm doing this just an ordinary everyday thing sometimes. Am I doing the Lord's will here? Is this truly the Lord's will, what I'm doing just now? We can have questions about that. But here's something that's very clear. If you love the Lord, do this in remembrance of me. That's the question. Do you love the Lord? My dear friend, if you do, be at the table of the Lord if you can at all next Lord's Day. So then in conclusion, believer here today then, whether you previously sat at the table or not, are you then here today, well, I'm not worthy. Well, let me say this to you. I absolutely agree with you. You are not worthy. But then no one who has truly sat at the Lord's table and partaken at the table, no one has ever been truly worthy of themselves. No one is there because of their worthiness. And if you feel unfit, but you have repented of your sin, and in faith and humility cast yourself upon the mercy of God, my friend, I say they don't grieve the Holy Spirit by staying away from his table. Oh, you have nothing to add. You cannot add to the finished work of Christ in coming. You cannot do that. But I say this to you. Be obedient. Be obedient. Show the Lord's death till he come. How am I doing it? By doing this in remembrance of me. Amen. Let's Amen. Pray. Oh, blessed Lord. We fall short so often, we fail these so often. We feel at times that we are a disgrace to thy cause. We often feel, O oh Lord God, that uh, we wish to hide away, but yet thou hast commanded us to be lights in the world that we live in and to be witnesses for thee. And if we have met with thee, if we have been with Jesus, what better thing to do than to show forth publicly to all around that we are indeed those who have been redeemed, not of our own good works, but by the grace of God. Lord, give us grace then, and thy dear people here, thou knowest them, and those who may not as yet have sat, but who know that they ought to be, because they know 
what Christ has done for them. May it please the Lord to give them the grace and strength to be obedient to thy word and to partake at the table with thy people. Be amongst them, Lord. Oh, it is vain to meet otherwise, but there was promised to be. So hear the spoken and silent prayers of thine own. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. We'll conclude in these familiar verses at the end of Psalm 118, or at least from verse 19. O set ye open unto me the gates of righteousness, then will I enter into them, and I the Lord will bless. This is the gate of God, by it the just shall enter in, thee will I praise. For thou me heard, and hast my safety been, that stone is made head cornerstone, which builders did despise. This is the doing of the Lord, and wondrous in our eyes. This is the day God made, and it will joy triumphantly. Save now, I pray thee, Lord, I pray. Send now prosperity. 19 to 25 of 118, who set ye open unto me the gates of righteousness. O set ye open unto me the gates of Intimations are as follows. God willing, the evening service at 6.30 and uh, notes of the forthcoming communion services which are due to start this week are as follows. Thursday at 7.30 taken by Reverend Harry Woods and the Kirk session will meet at 7 o'clock. The Friday service at 7.30 on Saturday at 7pm please note the time. 
on the Sabbath, the 24th, at 11 a.m., the dispensation of the Lord's Supper, and the evening service at 6.30, and all the service from Friday to the Sabbath evening to be taken by Reverend David Fraser, and the Monday service at 7.30, taken by Reverend David Rati, David Rati. Now, there are two sheets on the vestibule table setting out what help is needed during the communion season. If you are able to help, please sign your name in the appropriate places. Thanks. All these, God willing, let us conclude. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion and fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest on and abide with you all, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Amen.